I'm George Gallo, and I present Kali Mahorra on Al Maidin Television. Here we are in London. I speak my words freely, either in Parliament, on television, here on the streets of London. Kali Mahorra means free word. That's what I speak. So Kali Mahorra is a two-way conversation. Check it out on Al Maidin Television. Welcome to Kali Mahara with me, George Galloway, for Al Maidin Television, coming to you from London, but talking about Venezuela. At the time of recording, the war in Venezuela has not yet begun, but it may have by the time that you see it. Donald Trump and John Bolton, his national security advisor, and a man called Elliot Abrams are in charge of the operation. Let me tell you of my experience of Elliot Abrams. He's the desk man now for the regime change operation underway in Venezuela. I have known him a long time. I knew him when he was in charge of sowing murder and mayhem across Central America, presiding over some of the worst crimes ever committed by any US government at any time. A man who oversaw those who cut the throats of health workers, education workers, social workers, clerics, priests and nuns. A man who oversaw the operation which saw Archbishop Romero assassinated on the steps of the cathedral in San Salvador. A man literally dripping from head to toe in the blood of the people of Latin America. Of all the people that Donald Trump could have chosen to oversee this regime change operation, he could not have found a greater brigand. John Bolton is the hawk of all hawks. John Bolton is determined to drag Donald Trump into war someplace or other, maybe even on more than one front at one time. He wants war with Iran and war with Venezuela. Venezuela and Iran have at least one thing in common. They are both great treasure troves of oil, black gold, and maybe that connection will turn out to be the important one. A whole raft of crippling sanctions, effectively an act of war, has already been implemented by the United States, and many European governments have followed Donald Trump in the diplomatically unusual or frankly, uh, utterly insane act of recognizing a man on the street in a foreign country as that country's president. In the case of Jan Guaido, a man who didn't even stand to be the president of Venezuela, but who is now recognized as the president of Venezuela. Now, you don't have to like the Chavistas. You don't have to like Maduro. You don't have to even have liked Hugo Chavez. But the idea that foreigners can appoint the presidents of other countries could become catching. President Putin might well recognize the man leading the Yellow Vest demonstration in Paris this very day <laughs> as the president of France transfer the resources in Russia held by French citizens to uh, the Yellow Vest chief. The embassy could be taken from the legitimate government of France and given to the Yellow Vests. Wouldn't that be an interesting idea? All these diplomats wearing their yellow vests on the streets of Moscow. It's frankly bonkers. It's never actually been even tried before. And I believe that it will not succeed. I have to set the scene. Why does America hate the Chavez revolution and the revolutionary government of Venezuela? Well, first and foremost, because it took the world's largest oil reserves out of the control of the United States of America. Not just oil, but gold and many other precious metals and minerals. Secondly, Venezuela has become a major trading partner of China and, to a lesser extent, of Russia. And 
as the United States regards all of Latin America as its backyard, the place where you put out the bins, put out the trash, they're not prepared to accept the presence uh, in the hemisphere of Russia and China. Thirdly, the Chavez revolution drove into exile the grisly gold-toothed emigres who are now living in Miami, drove them out of the country, though not enough of them, in my opinion, and used Venezuela's oil wealth, its, its riches, its treasures, to redistribute wealth to the poor. I've seen it. And here I'm going to tell you a simple equation. The poorer the Venezuelan you are, the blacker the Venezuelan you are, the more Native American Venezuelan you are, the more you're going to love Hugo Chavez and the Chavez Revolution. The richer the Venezuelan you are, the whiter the Venezuelan you are, the more, more gold teeth you've got in your mouth the Venezuelan you are, you're going to hate the Chavez Revolution. I have seen what Chavez achieved in Venezuela. I've seen the transformation in the lives of poor Venezuelans that that revolution brought. I've seen the health care that they have and previously didn't have. I've seen the education they get and previously didn't get. I've seen the public housing built for them that never was built before. I've seen the computer in the hands of every schoolchild in Venezuela that they could only have dreamt of before. I've seen the way that the Chavez revolution transformed the lives of the mass of the people of Venezuela. That's not to say, and I'm not here to say, that there are no problems in Venezuela, that there are no shortcomings of the economic and social and political system in Venezuela. I'm not saying that Maduro is Chavez. That would be difficult. There's only one Hugo Chavez. I'm not saying that there are not problems of crime and corruption in Venezuela because there are far too many of them. But the idea that the problems of Venezuela can be solved by an idiot like Donald Trump and by bloodthirsty brigands like Abrams and Bolton is utterly ridiculous. Lastly, and I'll soon be turning the microphone over to someone who thinks virtually the entire opposite to me because that's what Kale Mohorra means. It's free word. It's free debate. Lastly, I'm going to say this. If the United States attacks Venezuela, they're opening the gates of hell. If the United States, either directly or through its auxiliaries in Brazil and in Colombia, attacks Venezuela, there will be all-out war. Because there are 7 million, 8 million, 9 million, 10 million supporters of the Chavez revolution and many of them are armed and all of them will be armed immediately that aggression begins. So if you think Iraq, if you think Libya, if you think Syria was bad, try bringing it about on the subcontinent of South America on top of the world's largest oil reserves. And if Donald Trump thinks there's a caravan headed his way from Central America now, against which he must build a wall, he's going to need a very much bigger wall if the war in Venezuela they have in mind comes to pass. Now, we are an audience of distinguished experts and one or two enthusiastic amateurs like myself, and we're going to debate this proposition uh, this evening for Kali Mohorra on Al Maidin Television. First speaker is a former parliamentary colleague of mine, distinguished parliamentarian with a great interest in Latin America, with whom I disagree absolutely and profoundly. Jacques Arnold, welcome to the show, Jacques. How would you like to respond to what I've said, and what would you like to say uh, on your own behalf? Well, George, I must say I've been missing your splendid tirades, and you've certainly brought it with your anti-Americanism latching on to Venezuela. 
what one can say about Venezuela is, firstly, it is an absolute tragedy that this situation has arisen. I was in Caracas and uh, around the country in 1999 when the election of Chavez took place. And what took place there was the Venezuelan people were fed up to their back teeth with the corruption of the previous regimes, and they were looking for a new broom. They had the offer of Chavez with the support of working-class Venezuelans and of Enrique Salas Romero with the support of the middle class. Either would have done, and they, numerically they settled for Chavez. Now, when I say it's a tragedy, it's a tragedy because Chavez was an open jug, ready and looking for ideas. Where, after all, did the Bolivarian Republic come from but his reverence for Simon Bolivar and the liberation of Venezuela in the first place? The tragedy, in my view, is that, and you have mentioned the Americans like mad in your introduction, the Americans mishandled Chavez at the start. The interesting point is we British did not. We had a first-class ambassador in Dick Wilkinson who identified Chavez early, brought him to Britain. Uh, he was therefore able to visit the political system, the commercial, and all the rest of it. And to his dying day, Chavez said that the British were the first country to take him seriously. Very interesting. The question I don't know the answer to is why didn't we take this f close friendship forward? Could be something to do with what you had to say. The tragedy of Venezuela is that the previous corrupt politicians seemed to know their economics. They knew that if they allowed the golden goose of PDVSA, the oil company, nationalized incidentally, not American or anybody else's, it was nationalized long before Chavez, they, and if they, the PDVSA always laid the golden grouse, and what the politicians did with it probably explains the revulsion of the public. The trouble is that Chavez's regime did not leave the golden goose to get on with it with professionals from the oil industry. It was used as a placing for the supporters, and they wrecked the oil industry, and along with it, the income on which Venezuela had long long taken advantage of. That is the tragedy of Venezuela. Now, I was in Brazil only last week, and what a shame to see Venezuelans in Manaus. My God, you imagine the travel from South Venezuela across the jungles to get to Venezuela. What kind of hell has Maduro created in Venezuela that ordinary Venezuelans, the very working class people you're referring to, have had to take their families and flee to their neighbors, not least Brazil with its different language. I saw Venezuelans in the streets selling water, selling anything they could uh, in the marketplace to make a living. Just ask yourselves, why did they leave Venezuela? Three million of them have now gone largely to Hispanic Latin America. Forget about the upper middle classes that may have gone to Miami, as in their time did the Cubans. Think about the ordinary Venezuelans, because you have let the, they have been let down extremely badly. And it's not surprising when you, and you ask, who is this Juan Guaido about? I'm sure, like me, you knew nothing of him. Who is he? He is a president of Congress, the elected Congress elected by the Venezuelan people. And under the Constitution of Venezuela, it says that in place of the president of the republic, uh, it falls to the president of the Congress. Uh, the doubt is ab about the election, and such observers w as were allowed in do not view the election with the stopping of candidates and other misdemeanors uh, to be valid. That is why you've got Juan Guaido. And you may then in turn ask yourself why after 20 years has the body politic of Venezuela taken uh, to produce somebody of interest in Juan Guaido. The corrupt politicians have by and large gone, age has taken them. And now we have Juan Guaido, the elected president of the parliament of Venezuela, who has taken the place. Well, ask yourselves why would Brazil, why would Colombia, why would Peru, Argentina, Chile, all recognize the, the fact that Maduro is not properly elected. Because Washington told them to, maybe? 
Well, then you have a profound understanding, George, of the Latin Americans. The Latin Americans actually resent Uncle Sam and they, re they resent the approach that the Americans have always taken through the Monroe Doctrine and the, the like. So to call them as saps of the United States, you're totally, totally wrong. Latin America is an increasingly democratic place. Long gone are the military dictatorships, and it's an irony that the only thing that keeps Maduro in place is the military of Venezuela. I'll come back to you, of course. Uh, Francisco, I'd like you to respond. Uh, you're from the Venezuela Solidarity Campaign. Tell us your perspective. Yeah, the tragedy of Venezuela is to be so far from God and so close to the United States, as is the case with just about every country. I come from Chile originally, and I know what the United States was able to do. And every single government in Latin America, the type that you're referring to, was against us. The Brazilians even threatened with military invasion. And if you're telling me the United States is not able to pull those sort of influences, let me tell you that the so independent government of Colombia, which, with whom the British actually have lots of dealings with, including training their military, and special forces that end up assassinating hundreds of people, if not thousands of them, the Colombians who are supposed to be independent and who are supposed not to be independent from Uncle Sam, accept 10 military bases of the United States in order ostensibly to fight against narco-trafficking. Now, this was in 2008. And ever since, the amount of drug that has been produced in Colombia has increased by more than 30 to 40%, according to official reports from the Drug Enforcement Administration. And the Drug Enforcement Administration goes on to say that actually 92%, this is their figure, of the co cocaine consumed in the United States comes from Colombia. They go even further. They say that 70% of the cocaine which reaches the United States does it through the Pacific. Venezuela does not have Pacific coast. When Chavez arrived to office in 1999, the GDP of Venezuela was 100 billion. By 2013, before the US applied horrible sanctions in, in order to try to destroy the nation as they did to Chile, the GDP of Venezuela was 500 billion. The level of poverty has come down quite dramatically from 80% roughly to something like 20 or less percent. Extreme poverty has gone down from more than 38 to something like 7%. Unemployment went, came down from 50 or something percent to something like 7% and so on and so on and so on. The point I want to make here is this. You went at length you know, with your disagreement with George and that's reasonable. What you didn't answer was the crucial question. Why is it the business of the United States to actually organize a military intervention against a country that is supposed to be sovereign? And the United States is violating absolutely every principle. And what is at stake here is not only the national sovereignty of Venezuela. And this is where you know, people who have views like yours do not help humanity. Because what it does take is not only Venezuelan sovereignty. If the United States is able to get away with this, and I don't think they will, then no country in Latin America is safe. All the United States needs to do is to find a willing politician to say, by the way, we just created this crisis, which they created it deliberately by huge, horrible sanctions, which have been applied for the last four years. And then once they have identified that politician, then you know, the rest will follow suit. In fact, the number of countries that recognize Guaido without expelling their embassies is about 30 something. The number of countries that recognize Maduro is about 116. Thank you. There's more after this.
watching Kalemahara with me, George Galloway, for Almaidin Television, coming from London but talking about Venezuela. Earlier, we took the Kalemahara camera onto the streets of London to see what the people thought. Let's take a look. Why do you think the US has decided to name Juan Guaido as the interim president of Venezuela? Well, because there was no possibility to go on with the present government because uh, too many inflation, too, too many poor people, etc. So not only the United States, but also France re did recognize the, the new president. It will be a multi-purpose game. It may be humanitarian, but it may be oil and money as well. Looking at the actual US government, I'm guessing it's more for economic reason, like you said, oil natural resources. Venezuela has a lot of, um, of resources. Do you think the US is correct in recognizing Juan Guaido as the new president? No, I don't think someone outside, especially Donald Trump, should be able to decide anything to do with the sovereignty of another country at all. I 100% support uh, US and all the other countries who decided to recognize him as a president. In terms of the US influencing any decisions, I think that's probably not a good idea politically. Um, I don't know, probably because of like right-wing influences, which maybe Venezuela wouldn't want um, at the moment, especially with poverty and all of the issues going on at the moment. Maduro would never get out of the power, because when you, you are in power, especially in that way, communist way, it's so hard to take it off. So US is saving the, the people, the population in Venezuela. Do you think his first term has been disastrous or do you think there are reasons for the problems in Venezuela? I definitely think that he's a largely influencing factor to what's going on in Venezuela at the moment, for sure. Uh, he was the worst president you can ever imagine that ever exists. Yeah, was, it's only one-way system, the money is going to the pocket and the people is starving. I'm not a specialist and I'm quite sure if we compare figures uh, with the, between the beginning and the present situation, probably you would find some justification that Maduro did it well for, for the beginning. I mean, the president probably has a lot to do with it, you know, because he's a major figure. In every country, the president is a major figure. But I mean, a lot of things had happened this year, you know, so a lot of external uh, factors. We had crisis, we had a new president in some other countries near to Venezuela. So, uh, yeah, the, I don't know, like everything should be taken into account. You can't blame it all on one man, you know. Well, a varied collection of views from the British public. Let's go back to our audience of distinguished experts and enthusiastic amateurs. You have the microphone, sir. Please introduce yourself and speak. Thank you. Calvin Tucker from the Morning Star. I was interested in what our guests had to say about uh, the current conflict, and in particular going back to the election of Hugo Chavez, because, of course, history didn't begin on January the 20. Third, when this Trump-anointed uh, imposter declared himself president. And going back to the uh, early days of the Chavez administration, um, he was never accepted as a legitimate president by the United States or the uh, domestic opposition. The very first act of the opposition was to organize uh, a strike of oil executives in, the, in PDVSA in order to crash the economy, to have that blamed on Hugo uh, Chavez. When that failed, uh, the opposition uh, and the United States government organized a military coup in 2002, briefly imprisoned Hugo Chavez, and abolished the National Assembly, abolished the Supreme Court, abolished the Ombudsman and abolished all institutions of democratic uh, government. So this conflict has a history of 20 years of United States destabilization. This involves funding uh, to the tune of about $5 million a year, the opposition, 
NGOs, civil society organizations, and so forth, via US government organizations, USAID, and the misnamed National Endowment uh, for Democracy. So when you talk about Juan Guaido being a legitimate president, I think it's important to recognize that the United States has never accepted the legitimacy of Hugo Chavez, despite uh, having won uh, 23 out of 25 uh, elections in Venezuela, uh, monitored by international observers. And in fact, it was Jimmy Carter who described the Venezuelan electoral uh, system not as just good, but as pristine, the very best uh, in the world. So there's a democratic issue here at stake. And I think that it's the right of Venezuelans to choose their own uh, government, not to have that imposed upon them by foreign powers. Just, uh, you were an election observer, uh, Mr. Tucker. Um, isn't it the case that the election of the president took place at exactly the same time, using exactly the same voting machines? There's no stuffed ballot boxes here. There's no paper in the Venezuelan elections. The Congress was elected uh, on the very same machines at the very same time. So if the president's election was Ill illegitimate, the opposition-controlled Congress election must be equally illegitimate. Well, in, 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 indeed, I was one of uh, uh, 200 election observers from 86 different countries uh, around the world, uh, including observers representing the uh, Latin American electoral uh, commissions, the South African electoral authorities, the entire African un Union representing 55 uh, countries. And the reason Venezuelan elections can't be rigged is because they have a triple lock. Uh, voters vote by uh, pressing uh, a computerized screen. That generates a paper receipt, which is put into a ballot box, and at the end of polling, all of this is witnessed by witnesses from opposition and government supporting political uh, parties. At the end of polling, in each for each polling uh, station and each machine, the ballot box is tipped out, the ballot <coughs> papers are counted, they're tallied with the vote on the computer, a button is pressed, that vote, the computerized vote, goes to the headquarters of the CNE, the Venezuelan Electoral Authorities, and then the result, machine by machine by machine, is posted on the website of the CNE. So if there's a discrepancy between the computerized tally, the printed ballot receipts, and what's posted on the website, machine by machine, hey presto, you've got your fraud. There never has been a case of fraud, and that's why we hear an awful lot of bluster about Venezuelan elections being rigged, but nobody's ever able to explain how it could be done. Thank you, madam. You next. Well, I just wanted to talk about some of the myths that people have been talking. Seems like everybody's an expert on Venezuela economy. I interview uh, somebody who has is an expert, Pascualina Curcio Curcio, last year when I was in Venezuela, and she explained to me exactly how this economic war has been um, uh, arranged and uh, directed towards Venezuela. In the international market, Venezuela has the worst uh, risk uh, index for for to receive loans. It's about five thousand. Not even Yemen, who is in war right now, has that number. That means that of any loan that Venezuela asks in the international market, has to pay 50%, and we know that is impossible and viable. On top of that, we have a covered comer uh, blockade, commercial blockade, and financial blockade that is behind all these sanctions. People say, well, but the sanctions are against the uh, people that are in the government. Actually, every any a company in Venezuela, whether it's from the government or private, has been affected. There's money that has been returned to companies in Venezuela when they have already wanted to buy some medicines that cannot be taken because the companies don't want to get, go, get in the bad uh, side of Trump. And that has happened, and this is something that people don't know about it. On top of that, the internal economic war that has been raged there includes sabotage to services like water, electricity. If you don't know, the day that Maduro was, was actually sworn in, that day, two big warehouses where there were equipment for two hospitals were burned to the ground. There were six 
warehouses. Six were completely burned. There were 24 di dialysis machines. We know exactly that it's 10,000 people in Venezuela that need these machines, and 24 were burned to the ground. Plus, plus, Venezuela, the, coin, the currency in Venezuela has been devaluated in 34 million percent since 2013. Do you think this is normal? Venezuela has no stop. We're still producing things. We might not be exporting anything, but we produce. I saw that with my own eyes. I traveled 5,000 kilometers in Venezuela and I saw where the production is. It was happening. The, the uh, economy has not collapsed. We have, we're not on war, in, in, on war at the moment. Of course, the reason is because Colombia has, together with a page in Miami called Dollar Today, has attacked the Venezuela currency to that level. This is basically a strategy designed by United States and has been going on for years. Can you uh, speculate about how Trump's war game has come to be accepted by so many European Union countries. But I think we have to understand that we think about governments, but we need to understand that behind those governments, there are big, big transnational interests. But that would be we, true on the Iran nuclear deal also. Obviously, obviously, they have a different position with the Iran situation because they were the ones who uh, did the deal with Iran. And they understand that it's something that is very close to them. I think the situation with Venezuela is not that close to them. We don't have, uh, I have to say, this big uh, relationship with Europe as much as with other countries like Asia and Africa. And I think for them, it's something a bit more foreign for them that touches less the interests that mm. Europe has. And I think in that sense, they have been able to possibly support, or who knows, maybe they're being uh, uh, threatened in any way uh, by, by the Trump administration. Let's take the, uh, the very handsome-looking gentleman next to you. Go ahead, sir. Well, uh, my name is uh, Oscar, Oscar Guardiola, like uh, my Venezuelan friend here. Uh, I do believe that it is very important for us to inform ourselves as best as possible about uh, the context in which these things are happening. Now, it might be the case that uh, for you Europeans, people like Juan Guaido, uh, was uh, uh, a totally unknown quantity, not necessarily for us in uh, Latin America. We had seen Juan Guaido and uh, some of the others back in 2007 and 2014 during the student protests. This is very important because it goes to debunk myth number one, that somehow Juan Guaido represents the entirety of the opposition in Venezuela. No, he doesn't. Actually, he belongs to a very small party in the far right wing side of the opposition named Popular Will, uh, Voluntad Popular, which is very unpopular among uh, most Venezuelans. Why, why so? Why is it uh, so unpopular? Among other things, because him and uh, his pals, uh, David Smolensky, Mr. Vecchio, and many others, took part and are well known as having organized the so-called Guarimbas the uh, street hubs of uh, violence that uh, uh, have been linked to uh, the decapitation and burning alive of uh, pro-Chavista protesters. Not only that, now it has come uh, to light that uh, these uh, former student uh, uh, protesters uh, may have been uh, uh, trained, clearly have been prepped and funded by US intelligence in Serbia and other, and other places. Now, it is there when uh, they come to uh, uh, meet uh, the sort of uh, people that you mentioned. John Bolton, who is very well known to, uh, uh, to most people because of his participation in the Iraq war. Elliot Abrams, who is very well known to us in Latin America as the man who organized the death squads in Guatemala and El Salvador and was convicted in the United States for having lied to its own Congress in order to cover that operation. It is extraordinary. He was in Congress the other day. Um, we don't know if he lied to them uh, on that occasion as he did uh, on the previous occasion and was convicted in the courts for it. I do want to hear more from you, but I need to take a break. watching Kalimahara with me, George Galloway, for Al Maidin Television, coming from London, talking about Venezuela. Sir, before the break, 
uh, you were filling the audience in on the background of Mr. Nobody, uh, Juan Guaido, uh, and it seems that he has a background in extremism, in violence, and though his party is called the popular will, it's actually not very popular, which begs the question, why him? Why did Donald Trump, Bolton, Abrahams and co, why did they fix on him? Well, there are three reasons. Reason number one is that this guy and his pals in uh, popular will uh, knew uh, Bolton and Abrams uh, in, the, uh, in the circles of uh, formerly covert, now overt operations of the Department of Justice for the training of uh, youth in uh, uh, street-based destabilization. Reason number two is that, as every single mainstream media reported last year, Trump had been asking his security advisors, his then security advisors, for, to draw plans for an invasion of Venezuela. But those security advisors uh, refused. They told him uh, it was a crazy idea because he would, uh, uh, you know, uh, wreak havoc among U.S. allies in, in the region. Now, those advisors are no longer there. Uh, Mattis, Tillerson, and so on and so forth, whatever you might think of them, they are no longer there. They were replaced precisely by Bolton and Abrams and, and uh, uh, Mike Pompeo and so on and so forth. So it's no surprise that these guys, the first people they call, they call upon, are people like uh, Guaido. Reason number three, Juan Guaido was handpicked by Leopoldo Lopez, who is in prison in Venezuela, for having incited to violence. And he was handpicked to lead popular will, who by, which, by the way, has only 17 of his people uh, uh, as members of the legislative. We're not talking about a majoritarian party here. He is so toxic that even the right-wing sectors of the opposition are very wary of him. Uh, we haven't heard of uh, uh, you know, people uh, like Enrique Capriles. We haven't heard of people uh, I've been like wondering Henry Falcon. About him because the last they, time I was there, he been... was the presidential candidate. Exactly. And Henry Falcon, who actually did very well against Maduro in the, in the previous elections, uh, that supposedly are now totally fraudulent. They have been clearly sidelined. You have people in the opposition in Venezuela, people like Edgardo Lander, for instance, who are very, very critical of Maduro. They have also... They are also on record recognizing that they're very aware of these U.S.-designed attempted coup. And let's call a spade a spade. You know, I'm very sorry, but I'm sure that even Jack will not believe, because he's a Democrat, will not believe that people like Mike Pompeo and Elliot Abrams uh, are doing this because they have at heart the humanitarian, uh, uh, you know, woes of uh, the Venezuelan people. They might fool some people with, with, with that idea, but not us. We know him very well in Latin America. We know the record of these people. We're not going to be fooled, and I'm sure most of the people won't either. Madam. Good evening. My name is Mary Valverde. I'm from Peru. And I can see from my side how sad is what's happening now in Venezuela. Venezuela used to be a very productive country, so sad, and it's a very, very complex situation at the moment. On one side, we have Maduro who has uh, destroyed the country. And on the other side is uh, Mr. Guaido, Guaido, who is the opposition, and auto-nominate himself uh, as a president, interim president, and tries to invade, asking other countries like United States and Colombia and Brazil to help him to invade uh, Venezuela, which I think is extremely sad, extremely sad, because it will cause more chaos that what we have at the moment. But the other hand, the UN is supporting now Maduro and Russia and China as well. I believe that it's the people from Venezuela, please, who needs to decide. Thank you. Uh, the gentleman in the middle row. Yes, sir. Hello there, George. Um, the name is Thompson, Desmond Thompson, uh, originally from English-occupied Ireland. I would actually like to stand back a bit and look at the bigger picture. You have Venezuela, who has, uh, under pressure, huge economic sanctions. That is, that's a form of, as you know, warfare. Then you have now, which has come to light, sabotage black ops. And the people who specialize in this is, of course, the Washington government and the UK government. They're excellent in uh, organizing black ops. And they also come out, look at the dire straits the people in and they're suffering and we're going to save them and so on. The only saving they're going to do is drop bombs on them 
And then also, when they do change, or should they change the regime, then you're going to, they take, of course, the oil, the mineral wealth. So it's a business. Thank you. Thank you very much. Gentleman in the front row. Uh, hi, my name is William. I'm Venezuelan. And um, I want to say we choose a president. I vote for President Maduro. And I want my vote to be respected. And I am surprised that uh, nobody asked the Venezuelan people what is their decision. And we already took that decision. Now, we are facing an international uh, attack on the country to revert our decision. And maybe we choose another, another we go into elections again next, next week, say. And we choose again President Maduro. What they will do? Revert the decision, attack us again, and force us to go into election and election until we choose correctly what they want? So this is the point. And we decided, and this is the key point here, that the national reserve of the, of the country belongs to the people. And the profit out of that wealth is to be distributed between the people. And we want to share it with everybody in the planet. The access to the reserve... My God, no wonder the Americans hate you. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, access, the, the access to that reserve... Have, we wanted to share it not only with the United States. We are not anti-United States. We are anti-imperialist. We don't want one single ruler in the planet. We don't want one unipolar planet, unipolar world order. We want a multipolarity where everybody respects each other because only by African standard on their own feet, Africa can develop. By Latin America standard on their own feet, Latin America can develop. And that is a key element. You cannot be patronized for center of illuminated people that knows everything that they choose by, for you and pick winners in, in your own groups, in your own society. So Venezuela decided, and decided a long time ago, when we uh, uh, signed the, the agreement on the Constitution in, 20, in 1999, that the National Reserve were for the Venezuelan uh, benefit, and we decided to share it to everybody and allow access to all nations in the planet. The United States disagree. The United States said, we want exclusivity on that reserve. And we will decide who gets access to it. And by doing that, United States have a strategic dominant position over the planet for a century. We have been suffering enormously an economic warfare on the country. The country is under siege. And the people are suffering an enormous level. But it's not because of the president. You put the most clever manager ever on the planet on that seat and will suffer the same consequence because it's a system that is reacting against us. The last thing I want to say is, if we get us through this and we go into war, it's not the beginning of the war against Venezuela. It's the war against Cuba, Nicaragua, Bolivia, even Mexico is in the line of attack. And it's, and it's a major picture. It's a reshaping. And what is going on in Venezuela is not only to destroy the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, it's to dissolve it. And one of the things I worry enormously is that United, K, United Kingdom, France, and the others are meddling into our business because they have been promised the uh, Western province for you, the Eastern province for you, the South province for the other. But trust me, that will never happen. I hope, I, I, exactly. That, so we, that's we have the kind of promise that was made in Iraq, and look how that uh, turned out. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, if they are buying that promise and they are allowing free will, and the liberal media in this country are not censoring the United States' attack on us and granting them free pass to this idiot that is Juan Guaido, as a sovereign idiot, how on earth we can respect? the diplomacy of the United Kingdom in the years to come. How on earth we can trust the Bank of England to, the, to, to bring our gold here? No on earth. Everybody has to run away. And that is the key element. Institutions that have been stable for years are going bonkers. The line has been raw. It's time to choose. Mr. Arnold, uh, you've heard uh, that was a particularly powerful, uh, poignant even, uh, rejoinder. But you also know, because we were in Parliament together, you know how badly all these regime change operations have gone. You, you know what happened in Iraq. You know what happened in Libya. Uh, you know what happened in Syria. 
How can you contemplate doing it again in Latin America? Please, tell me. I'm absolutely amazed, George, that you're trying to extrapolate uh, the grand, rather remote politics uh, to Venezuela. The problem with Venezuela, I go back to, Venezuela sits on the largest oil deposits in the world. It used to have a world-class petrol company run by professionals creating the wealth, such wealth, that Venezuela never, going back 50, 80 years, diversified properly. What Chavez and now Maduro have done is to destroy the production of that company, and it is no longer laying the eggs which Venezuela always used to have. But even if that were and true... And what is the consequence? Even if that were true, how can that be resolved by a foreign invasion? I don't think a, a foreign invasion uh, is the solution for a moment. The solution is that Venezuela needs to get back to normal. That is what the Venezuelan people are, are calling for. And the hunger and lack of employment is meaning that three million of them have gone abroad, largely to the rest of Latin America. Now, there's been much scorn about this fellow Gaidor today. If he is such a minority, so unpopular, why is it that the Congress of Venezuela has elected him their president uh, of the Congress, of the Congress? Turns out he wasn't elected. Well, I can... He appointed himself to that position too. I can, I can tell... I can say to you that that he is the president of Congress, and because of the question over the validity of the presidential election, the Congress has put him forward uh, under the constitutional arrangements. Now, the other point, the other point was, the other point was about all these countries that have recognised Guaido and. Uh, given up recognizing Maduro, recognizing the shambles he's caused uh, to that country, the whole uh, of the major number of the European nations, the major numbers of the nations of Latin America. It is very patronizing to say that them, and particularly the Latin Americans, are motivated by the United States. The United well, States. Latin American, the, you well, may, the, you the, may be, you may be, but the other countries. If the honorable gentleman would make way uh, for one moment, I'd be very grateful. On the subject of being patronizing, isn't it obvious that the ultimate patronizing is for foreigners to pick presidents in other people's countries? Now, you started out with a pean of praise, partly justified, to British diplomacy. It is our diplomatic essence that we recognize the people in control of the territory. You wouldn't pretend that Guaido is in charge of Venezuela, has an army at his disposal, is in possession of the material facts of the country. We've never recognized, since Pol Pot, when we recognized him, uh, we have never recognized the president of a land who doesn't control that land. Please. I find it fascinating, coming from you, George, that you're actually saying that the determinant factor in Venezuela is the army controlled by Maduro. Well, that's the British diplomatic principle. We recognize whoever is in material control of the country. In which case, that would be Maduro who has a grip on Venezuela, thanks to making sure that the army is on his side, uh, resourcing well, I can personally. see how regretful you are that the army hasn't now, joined your coup. Now, <laughs> under, the, uh, under the constitutional rule, uh, the president of Congress, in the, in the light of the doubt over the, pres over the presidential election, the president... And I think, I think it, and I think it is patronizing to assume that the countries of Europe, the countries of Latin America, all of them democracies, who have analyzed this and thought what is the correct thing to do, it is very patronizing to say they are well, totally wrong. The chap in charge yeah. of the Venezuelan... Three times as many countries recognize Maduro. Oh, no, they don't recognize yes. Maduro yes. as such. That's the numbers. It is... As you're keen on them, that's the numbers. The, the number is... The, the number starts from the recognition of Maduro under his first election. 
there are now 50 countries, largely in Europe and Latin America, which have taken the view in, in the light of what has happened to democracy in Venezuela, they have taken a view that Guaido is more representative mm. uh, under the Venezuelan constitution. I look forward to the recognition of a democratic leader of Saudi Arabia in that, uh, uh, <laughs> in, in, in that regard. Uh, final word, I think, uh, to you. Um, the claim of Guaido, he's basing his claim of self-proclamation on Article 233. Please check the Constitution and read it. He says that Maduro, or the incumbent president, can be replaced if he dies. Maduro seems to be alive. Don't the, tempt fate. The, they killed Allende, why wouldn't they kill him? I know. I know there is the possibility. If he's incapable physically, which is not the case, or if he's declared insane by the Supreme Court, which he hasn't, all the key provisions in that article, which he claims is, is the reason for his self-proclamation, is completely false. That is to say, it's not true. If it were to be the case that Maduro had to go for insanity, death, or whatever, it's not true that the President of the National Assembly is the one that is in charge. Constitutionally, the person who will be in charge will be the Vice President, who will become the President, who has the, the duty constitutionally to call for an election in 30 days. So there is no way, Jose, that Guaido has an ice claim. He hasn't at all. So it's a lie. It's a complete lie. I just want to make one point, which I think is Briefly. quite important. The reason why the United States is going for war is because their proxies in Venezuela have failed to overthrow the government. The United States have been trying for 20 years to try this, and they have miserably failed. And the US has 10 US military bases, so they're ready to pounce. And this is why I think you know, Georgia's warning is very serious indeed. And the number of people that will die as a result of this is absolutely criminal, disgusting. Somebody like Elio Abrams was responsible in one decade of the assassination of 250,000 people only in three countries. Can you, you can imagine what he's prepared to do as against a country that they hate so much. So no war, no blood for oil. Absolutely no way. Thank you. Well, it's been marvelous. For me, I hope it was for you. Viva Venezuela! Viva! Viva! Thank you very much.